When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. End of the football season edition. Obviously, we have a lot more to do. These next couple months are basically as busy as the actual football season as recruiting comes to a head with early signing period and then National Signing Day in February. And certainly for South Carolina, there's been no shortage of drama since the season ended with quarterbacks transferring, quarterbacks being injured, offensive linemen deciding to come back and play out the remainder of their career at South Carolina, coaches being demoted, coaches being fired, an ongoing coaching search, And for those of you that aren't that interested in hearing about the Clemson game, I'll let you know up front that we're going to spend the majority of the day talking about the coaching search for South Carolina's next offensive coordinator. Wes and Chris are very well connected and have heard a lot of heard a lot of names, have heard a lot of mutual interests, some non-mutual interests. They're going to tell you everything that they've been hearing about the coaching search in that respect for South Carolina. But before we get into the Clemson game and the offensive coordinator coaching search, I want to remind you all to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. If you like it and you want us to keep doing it, that's a great way to support the podcast. Share it with your friends. It's a great way to just let us know that you like what we're doing and you want us to do more of it because we have a lot of fun. We hope you all enjoy it and welcome all the feedback that you guys want to give. If you love a segment, if you hate a segment, if you hate the sound of my voice, if you want Chris to start hosting, you know, let us know that kind of stuff. We want to take that into consideration so that we can make this the best possible product for your listening pleasure. The next five minutes will probably not be a maximization of your listening pleasure necessarily, but I do feel a sense of obligation to talk about the South Carolina Clemson game because it did actually happen. People watched it. I watched it. I didn't watch it again. I try to watch all the games twice, but there, I, there was just nothing I didn't think to learn. Nothing interesting that really happened in that Clemson game, which is basically my stance. But I'll start with you, Chris. Anything surprising or noteworthy from the Carolina Clemson game, or did it go exactly like you expected? It went exactly, yeah. I mean, literally, that, that's that been the bulk of the conversations I've had with people, whether it's Wes and I talking about it after the game or, or whatever. It's just it, it just sort of there were zero surprises. Uh, South Carolina couldn't score, uh, couldn't move the ball consistently, uh, couldn't score. Clemson, uh, the defense played well enough at times, but it was same deal. You know, poor field position for the defense, got into some bad situations. You get Clemson into some third down situations, which we figured the defense would do, and we figured Clemson would either have Lawrence get out of trouble or the receivers would go make plays one-on-one. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. I think the only surprise, and I wouldn't even call it that, because I, I didn't think this would be a, you know, the doomsday, you know, 70 to nothing or whatever that people were saying. But if you were going to pick a surprise, maybe that Carolina kept it like it was, you know, mm-hmm. at, at that point. I mean, thir- and you look at it and you say, well, God, that's five touchdowns. You know, that's a huge margin. And, and it still was, but I think, uh, you know, it, it that would that would really be the the only surprise is if you thought it was going to be an even worse margin of error. Yeah, I, I that would be the only thing that I would say is that it wasn't worse that Clemson didn't score forty. I thought the line should have been like thirty two to thirty five, which would have been obviously right in that range. Thirty five is what it was. So that would have been a push. Can't believe it was just twenty seven. Even if the line were thirty five, I would have picked Clemson 
the cover, which means I would have been wrong. But I thought it was going to be like 45 to 3, maybe 48 to 6 kind of game. I know they took out their starters towards the end of the game, and that surprised me a little bit too because, you know, Dabo likes to run it up. And frankly, when you play a weak schedule like Clemson, you need the optics of all of those games against lesser opponents to just be absolutely overwhelming. And they've done a great job of that, of basically maximizing points, even though that's not exactly a thing. They've done a good job of that. So that would be my only surprise, just that it wasn't worse. Yeah, I mean, I like y'all said, it, it played out pretty much as expected. Um, you know, Carolina had a nice little goal line stand there at the beginning, but then thawed that up after a nice little throw on the dig route. Uh, you know, a few plays later, you got the interception, puts Clemson right back in business. Um, yeah, you know, I, and I do think uh, certainly the defense is closer to sort of being where it needs to be than obviously the offense. Um Anybody watching can see that. But then also, I think, you know, you go back, you look at the totality of the game. I think Clemson had 11 drives, and they were, like, in a position to get some type of points on eight of the 11 drives. Um, South Carolina probably was in position to get points on one of their 11 drives in the game. Um, And they did. Scored on 100% of their scoring opportunities. (laughs) Good job, Carolina. Um, So, you know, and I I think, again, it's just sort of a – I guess another reminder of what we already knew, and that's just how far South Carolina, especially you take Brian Edwards out of the equation, which South Carolina obviously will have to do next year, um, take him out of the equation, just how far away they are to like being an elite offense from a skill set standpoint from from those positions. And, um, you know, I, I think that was just a, it was a reminder of what we already knew, but maybe a needed reminder, you know, South Carolina's got to add some, better talent I think on the offensive side and there's obviously a reason that we're going to be talking about an OC change later on um, some of that I, I think is overall talent you know it's not just on play calling or coaches development stuff like that but um, yeah uh, I, I wish we were like telling people something they didn't already know right now but mm-hmm. it's just like you know I, I'm with you I, I rewatched part of the game and then there was just it was like there were way more important things to put my time into and I yeah didn't I had even, to do laundry this week I, so. <laughs> I didn't even finish it so um, yeah that, that's sort of it for me and 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 I mean we knew going into this game you know Clemson would have to play its worst game of the season or or a, or maybe one of their earlier season performances where they weren't quite sharp and they have not been anything but really really efficient really really good lately. And so, you know, I mean, we knew they had a lot more difference makers, particularly on offense with guys like Ross and Higgins and Travis Etienne, who didn't even really have statistically a great game. They still had over 200 rushing yards, but Trevor Lawrence was the leading rusher. I mean, he had a force field around him all game, couldn't sack him, sacked him, I think, once. Uh, He scrambled out of trouble a few times, made some big plays. And he's just a huge difference maker because he can – he had time all game and he found guys, you know, in one-on-one situations and they got great receivers. And And did a good job of – I guess, generating some favorable matchups because I, I think yeah. Horn and Mukwamu both had pretty good games. I think Jamie Robinson even had a good game. Yeah. They did a good job of matching up some of those guys on safeties and things like that. And right. I think it was Matt Conley maybe that had a good write-up on how Clemson was able to scheme those things up. And, and Will Helms tweeted out a great stat, I guess at halftime of the Carolina-Clemson game, and it was like, you know, J.C. Horn was on uh, Ross in the first quarter, had no catches. They switched him to T. Higgins in the second quarter. He had no catches, and then the other guy was just – absolutely going off. I think it was like two catches for 75 yards and five catches for 80 yards or something like that. So those guys did a good job, but yeah. it's just Clemson 
has good enough players and Carolina has enough holes that it's easy to exploit. Yeah, and I mean, if you don't affect Trevor Lawrence, which nobody's really had success doing that last year or this year, um, if you don't affect him, you got no chance. And because uh, he's he's an elite talent, and so they couldn't do that. They they had to get they had to ha- they needed Clemson to be off some. They weren't. Uh, they needed to get off the field on third down somehow. Clemson was twelve of seventeen. They had thirty first downs in the game. Uh, to South Carolina's nine. You know, I'm not really surprised about that with South Carolina, but they were going to have to force turnovers. Clemson had, you know, technically zero turnovers. They had a turnover on downs. South Carolina had the interception in its own territory. So um, to to win this game, you know, they were going to have – South Carolina was going to have to win like a four-to-nothing turnover margin, really maximize, uh, you know, their opportunities, which they didn't have many, and they were going to have to – get Clemson off the field on third down, they couldn't really do any of that. And I, I know nobody listening to our pod wants to hear a Trevor Lawrence love fest, but um, I, I think, first of all, he's very, very underrated athletically. The guy can run. And I think a big part of the reason that South Carolina and other teams don't get pressure on Lawrence, um, you know, some of, it is, some of it is their offensive line. They're talented up front. But, dude, he he's good at maneuvering – Within the pocket, he's good at getting out at the exact right time. I mean, there were several times where, you know, I, I felt like Carolina's rush was just about to get there. Like, they had beaten their guy, and they're sort of closing in on that spot where Lawrence had dropped back to. And Lawrence either, you know, the, the deep ball throw to, uh, I guess that was Higgins that caught that ball, the one that was right down the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. The ball's in the air, like 60 yards. Um, he throws that ball. First of all, he step, he slides away from the rush from, I think that was Ken Law, throws off platform, like almost like a jump throw, and the ball is in the air. like the ball, That's one of the highest throws I've ever seen. Like gave his guy a chance to run under it, and uh, the ball's in the air like 60 yards, and it drops down perfectly, you know, right into the bread basket. Um, he, his ability, his arm strength sort of almost like, breaks your like it, it breaks the rules of defenses at the college level I feel like like most quarterbacks that guy has now it, it's like when you're playing backyard football and everybody starts running around um there's a certain length of field where if somebody just keeps running they've ran themselves out of the play because the guy playing quarterback can't get it that far so if if you have to defend literally the in every single blade of grass on the field um Ninety-eight percent of the quarterbacks you're facing can't make that throw. It's like Patrick Mahomes, or like playing backyard football with you. But true, you know, but you, they, you have to cover the whole every single bit of that acre. But this guy can't, and then or this guy can can make those throws, and then even you know Higgins was wide open. Um, but yeah, the way, eBay wasn't within ten yards of yeah, him. But yeah. it, it, he didn't even need to put it on the money, but he did anyway. But, yeah, yeah. but even the way the way he caught that ball like directly down over his shoulder, yeah, um, and just made it look easy. Um, yeah, for a college football player, you know, you're wide open. But for it 99, was a Willie Mays catch. For 99% of the people on the planet, that's actually level of difficulty 10. And he just hauls it in like it's nothing. And I, at that point, you're like, okay, there's a reason these guys have – I mean, how many straight games? I'm sure um, every, somebody knows. But it, I know it's a ton. Um, it's a reason. And it's because of guys like those two. And – it just it breaks the regular rules of defense as far as what areas you have to have covered. Can we talk about just, something else? Uh, yeah, I feel like there was one other thing that I wanted to mention about the game, but it's probably not worth it because it probably wasn't that important. 
Um, in the immediate aftermath of the game, oh, actually, that was what I wanted to ask you. Y'all both covered Carolina for how long? Full time, like 10 years. Yeah, about a decade. Yeah. Okay. And watched Carolina football before that because y'all are both from around here? Yeah. I. Shoot, man, I probably started being a big football fan when I was like seven or something. So I've watched okay. Carolina. So, like, Carolina like and Clemson over 20 years. Life. Yeah. Now, I mean, I know a lot of people listening to this are older and they're like, well, I remember back in 1920 when Carolina played Clemson and whatever. But I just, in my lifetime and in y'all's lifetime, I just can't remember a Carolina Clemson game that was less of an event. Obviously, leading up to it, there was a lot of fatalism from the Carolina fan base, and understandably so. During the game, it was just not that interesting. The entire East End was orange, as anticipated. And then after the game, nobody was upset. I had a couple people text me and be like, why don't we hire Sean Elliott as our head coach? And I was like, because he went 2-10 and 10 last year at Georgia State. Um, but other than that, it, I just don't remember a any installation of the Carolina Clemson. Like, even when it was 56-7 to 7, or even when it was 63-17, to 17, there was more trash talk. There was just more of an event around it. This year was just, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you are a casual football fan, not even a casual football fan, if you're, mo- if you're my mom, who doesn't like football, doesn't watch football, like, I feel like there's a good chance she would not have known that there was a Carolina-Clemson game here in Columbia on Saturday. Because it just, it was the least eventized Carolina-Clemson game I can ever remember. Yeah, and I, I mean, and that's that's weird. I, you know, I said going in, most years, like being around this rivalry, and it, it sounds cliched, but most years it didn't really matter what the records are. Each fan base was convinced their team was going to win. Like there's trash talk, and um, you know, family Thanksgiving, Clemson fans, the Carolina fans are arguing about who's going to win the game. This year, there there was none of that, and you know. When the game sort of got out of hand, you know, I, I thought, well, Clemson may take over this stadium. Clemson fans didn't really take over the stadium from a, uh, like, sound volume standpoint. Cause they were just chilling. I think ev- I think everybody in the stadium was just chilling. Yeah, they just kind of bored. Yeah, I, I think the, it goes back. I mean, I feel like we've probably spent more uh, podcast minutes talking, going back to the offense this entire season um, than any subject ever. But – uh, to me, you know, you look at last year's game, it was at least entertaining, and there were some moments where you felt like South Carolina was in the game because yeah. they were able to do some things offensively. And some now, of this dumb and dumber, you're telling me there's a chance kind of moment. Yeah, and now, you know, you look at it this year, and I, I think that, I think that's what it goes back to and the fact that, you know, th- this offense at times this year, I know it's hard to remember now, at times was showing – signs of potential life earlier in the year and then just for these final three games um th- you know that that's the issue with Saturday is not how bad you get beat is that the fact that the offense gave you literally no chance once Clemson is up by 10 points you know game over. the game the game is over and you have no chance and um I mean after that first touchdown you know I I think I, I think that's why I think that's actually part of the reason why why Clemson didn't score more points I think they were really at a position where they had the game so well in hand that the, the only way there – there are many points in that game where the only way South Carolina gets back in the game is if Clemson, like, throws a pick six, momentum completely turns. pick sixes. And, you know but, – Clem- but Clemson could have thrown five pick sixes on Saturday and it still would have been a tie game. Um, but, no, it, it changes, the, you know, the momentum of the game and everything. There, there was no point to – 
to try and sort of do too much. As long as you played within yourself, you know, you were going to win the game. So, uh, to me, a, a lot of that just goes back to the inability to get anything going on offense, and that sort of took away any chance of South Carolina winning the last few games this year. The way that the offense finished the season is one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my entire life on a football field. And I because there were decent stretches earlier in the season, I can't say that it's the worst unit I've ever seen. But this offense is just – it's really hard to capture, even with all of the – just appalling statistics. It's hard to capture just how bad, just how uninspiring they were, especially down the stretch. Was it one touchdown in the last three games? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did this quick math after Ohio State whooped Michigan on Saturday. So Ohio State has scored more in just their last two games against Michigan, a very good Michigan team with a consistently good defense, than Carolina scored in the last seven games of the 2019 season. Two games against Michigan compared to seven games, and that's including Vanderbilt. That's that's including App State. That's including some games where Carolina could have scored a lot of points. But that led to the inevitable conclusion. Nobody was really surprised to find out this weekend. I don't remember if it was Sunday afternoon or Monday morning, actually. But that Brian McClendon was demoted as offensive coordinator. He, I guess, still theoretically has the option to remain on staff. We have not heard whether or not he's going to choose to do that or whether or not He'll take a position elsewhere because I'm sure he'll be offered some kind of offensive coordinator position somewhere, maybe not at a Power 5 school, but he will have the opportunity to leave. Uh, Dan Werner is out at quarterback's coach, and Jeff Dillman is out as the strength and conditioning coach. We'll start with the strength and conditioning portion of this because I think that's a a shorter discussion. I think you all going to have a lot more to say about the potential offensive coordinator hire, and that also, I think, if we're just being honest, has a lot more stake in terms of what the next couple of years for South Carolina looks like and whether or not Will Muschamp can get this thing turned around at Carolina. But we'll start with Jeff Dillman. Not a huge surprise. I predicted before the season ended that he would be someone whose head would roll because when you have two straight seasons that are, I don't want to say ended because of injury, but there's only so much you can do with the defensive mash unit Carolina rolled out in 2018, and the offense was starting to resemble that towards the end of 2019. Maybe that's a Will Muschamp thing. Maybe that's a just unlucky thing, but the fact of the matter is it's really easy. When you need a scapegoat, it's going to be the strength and conditioning guy for not having those guys you know, ready to play week in, week out. I don't know if that's necessarily the right decision, but what are you guys hearing about what the future of that role at South Carolina is going to be? Yeah, you know, I, I think the OC hire will be billed as, like, the biggest of Will Muschamp's um, career, you know, at this point, and, and rightfully so, but I, I think the – Strength and conditioning hire is just as important. Um, you know, I, I think it's up there. I, you know, we talk about it a lot. These guys spend more time with your guys than than anybody else. So, mm-hmm. so their their motivational tactics, their uh, their message, their just ability to keep your guys on a day to day basis engaged and pushing in the off season. And you know, it's it's. It might be easy for these guys to get up and go to workouts, um, you know, to get up at 5 a.m. and go to workouts uh, day one when you're excited about workouts starting back and, and everybody's in a good mood. But then day two, day three, day four, you know, the grind of the offseason, the grind of fall camp. Um, you know, strength coach literally spends more time with your players than any single other coach on the staff. So Well, it's not, okay, so it sounds like you th- – think that that's more important than I do because I was just downplaying it a little bit there so I guess we'll start with this before we even get into to where Carolina goes with this position do you think it was the right decision to move on from Jeff Dillman because that guy has no shortage of energy he's very charismatic in the room I, I don't know if the players respond to him and maybe that's part of why it happened but it, I mean if it really is that important 
it seems like he's the he meets the sort of qualifications that you would need. Yeah, to answer your question, yes. I, I think it was time for a change. Um, I understand why they made the change. You know, I, I think you need, at some point, uh, you need a new message. Um, you know, it, it helps to, uh, it, w- with any type of leader, if you hear the same things over and over and over again, you know, it maybe is exciting at first. You like what you're hearing at first, but then over time, it you know, maybe maybe you tune guys out. Maybe it gets old. Maybe... Um, maybe guys start playing favorites. You know, I think it over time. Um, you know, sometimes just having a change and a different voice and a different approach. Uh, you know, not to mention all you know all the injury stuff. Um, you know, there are different approaches. If, if you want to get really detailed from like a strength and conditioning coach standpoint, there are different philosophies and different ways of doing this, and different um, coaches have different sort of not just approaches, but different focuses on exactly what their top priority is and how they want to get to the the goal of a keeping everybody healthy, b having everybody conditioned, and three having every or c having everybody <laughs> as uh, you know strong as they could possibly be. But uh, there's different ways to structure all that. I think from from everything I've gathered, the injury stuff, obviously, without even getting into the details of the blame of you know exactly why or what Dillman could have done differently, just the fact of how many injuries there are. Um, I like the change. And I, I think from a standpoint of just uh, with where the program is right now, coming off a 4-8 and eight season, the fact that you sort of need to, to rally this program and, and if you're going to sort of stick with Will Muschamp and make one last push at this thing, I think change is good. And I think they need a guy with maybe a little bit different approach both from a strength conditioning literal standpoint and both from a motivational tactic standpoint and just let the guys hear a different voice. So who is that guy? Well, we don't know yet. I mean, whether it's – Is it going to be you, Chris? It is not going to be me. I don't know enough about it. Wes uh, does. Wes is a gym rat. He is. He would be a better, I, he would be a better hire than me. The, the amount, you know, the amount of, like, science – and oh, it's background that actually yeah. goes into a gig like that now um, is insane. It is. I'm just I wish they would hire John Brinkus. <laughs> Remember him? He could ESPN put out Sports some cool Science. Videos. I'm oh, John yeah. Brinkus. He has really big ears. Um, love John Brinkus. They should hire him. Well, he put out some cool videos. I know. He did a special on uh, uh, Melvin, Melvin Ingram, Ingram one yeah. time. Yeah, that was pretty incredible. Yeah. All of his how, videos how quick are cool. he was. But, I, you know, th- there are some names that have come up, you know, but I, I think whether we're talking I think we can apply this sort of thought to both of them is they're still working through it and there's a lot of names that have been or will be involved with both the OC search and the strength search I mean there's some names that have come up that uh, have some ties to Will Muschamp and there's some that that you know do not really have as many ties um you know for example I mean one that's come up is is Joe Ken from the Carolina Panthers of course that Ron Rivera's staff Ron Rivera uh, was still let was let go uh, recently yesterday I guess. Um, I don't think the last I heard I don't think he was gonna really be involved at this point. He might stay in the NFL. He might have some other opportunities. But there there's some other guys that are involved. I just don't know. Uh, the question that I have is, you know, how different will Will Muschamp go? You know, will he go with a guy that's, you know, maybe radically different, or does he stay sort of along the same lines? I mean. 
a lot of questions, you know, there have been a couple names that have come up that, like, of guys that have worked maybe for, like, one year under Jeff Dillman, um, you know, or been an assistant at other places that Muschamp's been, and a lot of people say, well, why, you know, if you're just going to do the same thing? But I think it's important to remember that even guys who worked under other guys, I mean, they've got their own style, they've got their own voice, they've got their own system. But I do think it's probably a good idea to do something maybe a little bit differently, you know, than, than you're accustomed to, change some things up. Um, whether it's offense or the strength coach. Now, if we know anything about Will Muschamp, based on, I guess, the first eight years of head coaching, it's that he has traditionally been resistant to change, not someone that overly wants to shake things up, but this could be an opportunity to do that, just like it could be with the offensive coordinator position. Now, this is a little bit more of a nuanced argument, and before we get into some of the names specifically, I want to get y'all's take, because I don't know what the right answer is, and I think there are very compelling arguments on both sides of this thing. On the one hand, I've heard an outcry from fans that you want someone that is established. You want a veteran, someone that has a distinct style that you kind of know what you're going to get from him to come in here and really put his fingerprints on this program. And and I think the added benefit of bringing in someone that's been around for a long time, that's a well-regarded offensive coordinator. If South Carolina can win in a bidding war against some of these other schools like Texas, that are also going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator this off season is that maybe you bring in someone that's a big enough personality and is established enough that Will Muschamp can't meddle in whatever those offensive philosophies might be, someone that can actually take over that part I'm, I'm going to push team. back on that yeah, a little sure. bit, if you don't mind. No, no, sure. And I was just going to play out both sides of the argument and see where y'all stood, but so it sounds like you want to push back on that one. I want to push back on the meddling thing. Okay. I can't speak as much to what happened at Florida, but there is a perception that – Will Muschamp, like, goes in the offensive coordinator's office yeah. or that he's telling them what to run on the headset. It's not true. Yeah, I don't think – I don't, I don't believe that's true, and maybe yeah. I should have chosen a, a word no, no, better than fine. meddling. Yeah. But I, I guess what I mean by that is there is something philosophy about – Philosophy Yeah, something. there's something, yeah. like, about the the general conservative philosophy that is Will Muschamp football that I feel like even if he's not telling Brian McClendon, run this, call this, here's how we're handling these situations – it's just the philosophy of the program that sort of permeates that, which is why someone that's like, I don't want to say young and impressionable to make it sound like Brian McClendon doesn't have an opinion. But I mean, that's that's really hard when you're a first year and second year offensive coordinator to say, this is what I this is what I do. And to really kind of bring in your own identity and not be influenced by just the general conservatism that is the Will Muschamp approach. So well, that, I, that would be the benefit of bringing in a veteran. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, and I do hear that. That's going to be an emphasis, you know, as somebody that – now, there are some names on the list that maybe aren't quite as experienced, um, and there are some that have years of experience. So I, I think what it is 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 the key is just who you bring in. I mean, style matters, philosophy, things like that. But just whoever you bring in, can he maximize what's on the roster? Because we all know whoever South Carolina hires next season is not going to have an ideal roster from a talent standpoint. Mm-hmm. So you have to find somebody that can maximize, and then you have to do a good job recruiting, a better job recruiting at the skill positions, for example. Uh, you got to have better quarterback play. And there's there, obviously there are a lot of factors that played into all that this year. But, um, you know, you, it's – I think you hire a guy, and, and I think Will Muschamp will look at it, and I don't think there's going to be any issues with him – um, and I know you weren't arguing with the meddling thing, but, you know, I don't think he's going to try to hire a guy and then change what that guy does. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be more of a situation where he's going to be looking for some specific criteria, and then he's going to try to find a guy to match that. Or maybe he 
talks with guys and guys make a presentation. He says, you know what, we, we need to go this route. We need to do something a little bit different. Maybe we need to step outside our comfort zone or maybe he does something that's more comfortable. I don't really know because when you look at the list, there are some guys that he would probably be more comfortable with in terms of style or maybe he's more familiar with them. And there's some guys that he's he doesn't have as much carryover with. Mm-hmm. Like he stepped outside, like Charlie Weiss, which was supposedly forced on him a bit at Florida at the beginning. Um, was not a guy he'd ever worked with. Brent Peace from Boise State was not a guy he'd worked with. Kurt Roper was not a guy he'd worked with. Uh, Brian McClendon he had worked with. So the the two at South Carolina were guys that he was, you know, at least more familiar with. Um, this time, I don't really know. Um, but I think it's just important for him to hire a guy that, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, tr- a tree guy that he knows. It doesn't even have to be somebody that's not a tree guy. It just needs to be someone – Someone good. And right. so from a philosophy standpoint, you know, I don't know, but I think it's going to have to be someone that I, th- I think he'll leave whatever guy he hires, he's going to leave him alone to do the job. It's just about getting the right one. Right. Well, and then I, I guess I should also say this sort of in, in defense of Will Muschamp because I, I feel like this part of the narrative has sort of been warped. And look, I'm as hard on him as anybody, so I want to give credit where credit's due because I did say earlier that he hasn't necessarily been willing to change it up, but he has taken different approaches to – how he hires offensive coordinators. You mentioned Charlie Weiss, maybe not completely his decision, but that was someone that was very respected at the time in the world of college football, you know, at least just as someone that can get in there, call plays, drop an offense, whatever. When you go and get Brent Peasy out of Boise State, I mean, that was when Boise State was coming off of one of the best runs that we've ever seen from a mid-major team where they were putting up points, and yeah, they had like a lot of talented guys, but he was clearly maximizing those rosters in a way that most mid-major coaches and offensive coordinators aren't able to do. So you go out and you get a guy that is like a combination of an up and comer, but also, you know, someone that's, that's been around and has proven proven his his worth in the bigger landscape of college football. So that's a hire that's like based on prestige. You go get Kurt Roper, someone who is a Broyles finalist in 2013 that led that awesome offense under uh, David Cutcliffe at Duke, and it's like, wow, that's another good name. But then you see him, you know, kind of take the other approach with Brian McClendon, where he is willing to give a young up and coming guy that doesn't necessarily have all the you know the history and the accolades and just like the veteran presence that it brings so he has taken some different approaches so that's why i guess i'm i'm left wondering which side of uh i guess that spectrum of experience he will pursue this time because and to play out the other part of the argument what you might give up in terms of how authoritarian a veteran can be in coming in and asserting his will offensively i would almost like to see him take another chance on a brian mcclendon type guy another young and -and up-and-coming guy someone that's that's maybe going to be more willing to change things up dramatically um that's that's going to be like uh i don't know who eli drinkwood's offensive coordinator is at appalachian state and i know that he's basically the the mind behind that but somebody like that where where he's just gonna he's gonna do a lot of stuff to to make it interesting and not to run a gimmicky offense per se but just someone that's going to be willing to take more chances than someone like mike bobo that you bring him in and you kind of know what you're going to get from him it's it's this kind of offense but i would love to see him uh, basically bring someone in and allow them to try to innovate the offense to to maximize what is right now not a super talent rich offense yeah I, I mean i think you gotta maybe think outside the box and, right um i mean what's the story about mike gundy just googling um <laughs> guys that have put up big numbers and then yeah. then he, like saying i'm gonna go talk to these guys and see who fits yeah, I mean, he hired Mike Yurkic from Shippensburg, I think, Division II school, and he's now at Ohio State. And then his last guy came from Princeton, Sean Gleason. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, literally, 
start by going out and looking at who's putting up more yards per play then who's putting up more you know yards per game who's scoring more than anybody else um that's not at a big time school that's maybe doing you know more with less comparatively to the conference that they're in and then you know I'd start there and then start interviewing guys honestly I mean uh at South Carolina to sort of piggyback off of what we were talking about earlier I don't know certainly right now I don't want to say never but you're probably never going to have the level of talent at the skill positions that you saw from Clemson this past week um not taking anything away from their offensive coaching staff, but um, I think you could take a random good high school offensive coordinator from the state of South Carolina and give them Clemson's players um, in college football, and they probably would do pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, You need someone that is going to have some ideas that the defenses you face week in, week out, have to sit down and say, oh, these guys are a little different because almost everybody runs some element of the spread right now. The spread is not new anymore. The spread, now there are different types of spreads. Even the pro-style guys have tons of spread elements in there. You need a guy that's going to say, we're going to do things um, a little bit differently, make defenses adjust to what you're doing, and then – you know, and and then sort of go from there. But and it needs to to be a guy that I think excites recruits because ultimately, you're not as much as I'm saying. Yeah, you need a guy that can do less with more. Ultimately, you got to have the players. No, nobody. I don't care. We like to think this whole idea of X's and O's and this these perfect play calls and stuff like that. Nobody has ever been able to consistently produce strong offenses without somewhere along the way having some level of talent. The right. guys have to be able to go execute it. So, But then it's a chicken and egg situation. It's like, do you get the talented players because you showcase that you are an offensive system that can maximize their skill set, or do you have to go get those players first to then have kind of a fun offense? And I, I kind of lean more towards get an offensive coordinator that's going to run an offense that excites players and, and gets players to want to come be a part of that offense. I, I think we've seen already – what kind of an impact it's made for North Carolina to bring in a guy like Jay Bateman, who has kind of an unconventional approach to defense, one that's very progressive, one that's forward-thinking. He's been able to maximize those guys, and he's clearly you know, drawing the interest of, of guys in North Carolina that maybe wouldn't have necessarily considered it because all of a sudden, that's kind of a fun team. They're doing something a little bit differently, and it, it looks like, I mean, what did they finish this year? Like 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five or whatever. So it wasn't like it was an outrageously successful season, but it's a pretty significant turnaround after winning three FBS games in the last two years before that and it's just there's new energy and there's new life and more than anything else more than or I guess less than the lack of productivity what was what was more concerning about South Carolina's offense this year wasn't that they scored 18 points a game it wasn't they scored three against Clemson and six against A&M and just 15 against Appalachian State it was just they never looked threatening and they never looked interesting or lively it, it just it was it was awful to watch if they were taking chances because there were times in 2018 you know, Carolina's offense stagnated, but they at least had like the balance of the explosive plays. And there was something to be said for that. But there were also stretches of 2018 where the offense looked equally un- uninspiring. And then you just kind of rely on Debo Samuel to do something. So it's been, I mean, a couple of years 
with a few exceptions of the offense just looking not that fun, not that reliable, not that interesting. And I feel like that, as much as anything, just needs to change with whoever this next hire is. Yeah, and I think you can look at it a few different ways. I mean, South Carolina did look, you know, in my opinion, I think there were times where they looked pretty good early in the season. You know, now what were some reasons for that? I think, number one, they were healthier. You know, you had Brian Edwards out there. You had Shai Smith. You had Ryan Holinsky healthy. The offensive line was healthy. Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster are both healthy. So you loop all that in, no matter what you're running, you're going to be a little bit better, right? And and against Alabama and Florida um, and some other teams, they played a lot better offensively. Then they started losing guys. Holinsky got hurt. Um, Tavian Feaster got hurt. Rico Dowdle got hurt. And when he came back, he wasn't 100%. Brian Edwards was out later in the year. And on top of that, teams started adjusting to what South Carolina can do, did. One thing that they did started doing even more of later in the season is playing a lot more man coverage. South Carolina, especially with not with Edwards out, uh, they don't have a lot of man-beater type guys. And so teams adjusted to that. And obviously we saw in the run game, whether it was App State or really any of the opponents at the end of the year, teams started adjusting to what South Carolina did in the run game. And then your two top backs were out or limited. So – you add all that up, and they look less interesting. Then, you know, you pointed out, Pearson, they had Debo Samuel last year. He's a guy that makes you look good. Um, I think, you know, you look at a team like Clemson, for example, they're not doing anything super-duper fancy most of the time. They just have receivers. who They're just better. They have, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you have guys that are way better, then why why muck it up? Keep it simple. You know, when you have have throw back shoulder to Justin Ross, send D, get T. Higgins matched up on a safety and have him run past the guy and then have your first-round quarterback deliver balls to him, and, and, and it's easy. You know, so you, in South Carolina's situation, yeah, you're probably going to have to get a little bit more creative. Yeah. You know? Again, not gimmicky, but just do yeah. something different, do something interesting, do something that, yeah. and that after I mean, watching one game of film. I'm okay teams, with gimmicky. I mean, at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I mean, they don't need to run a triple option is what I'm saying. But you, you need to do some more stuff. You need to throw more window dressing in there. And, I mean, that's that doesn't make your offense better. But just try to do something different. Try to make yourself look different. Because we talked about this throughout the course of the season, and y'all just reiterated it. It became so easy for teams to game plan against South Carolina. Your job oh, yeah. as an offensive coordinator, to go back to your point, Wes, you know, if you have good players, that pretty much takes care of itself. Like if you're absolute garbage, there's still kind of a seal or there's still kind of a floor for how bad your offense can actually be. So good players takes care of it. But the rest of the time, for the rest of the teams in college football that aren't Alabama and aren't Clemson and aren't LSU, your job as an offensive coordinator is to maximize what you have. And you say, Okay, well, South Carolina's strength is not that they have a bunch of man beating wide receivers. Okay. So generate uh, you know, some kind of offense where you're you're taking advantage of a defense being over aggressive, playing a lot of man coverage, run a lot of, you know, shallow crossing routes and, and rub routes and, you know, play design, play design these guys open. Don't expect them to be Debo Samuel and Brian Edwards, you know, just running great crisp routes and getting wide open. You have to game plan for that. If South Carolina, you know, can't run the ball this way, then make an adjustment. And they tried at, you know, at times late in the season and it didn't overly work. And, and I give Brian McClendon credit for going away from the pin and pull once that stopped working, trying to run a little more inside zone, a little more power even at times we saw towards the end of the season. Uh, that's fine, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But Carolina just needs to be more willing to try things more often, and we just haven't overly seen that in the last couple of years. And I think that would be the number one thing that I would look for in an offensive coordinator. And it's, and it's going to be tough. You know, anybody that's hired is going to be walking in to call it like it is, I think, a tough situation. I mean, there's going to be a lot of pressure on a guy to walk in and fix it. 
and it's really it's going to be difficult to fix. I mean, to be honest with you. Um, now, I don't even know if we'd be here right now if this team could have stayed a little bit healthier. You know, I know every team has injuries, but the ones that they had were rough. Yeah, I don't know. Brian Edwards wasn't the difference in Carolina losing. The no, Texas but they A&M didn't the have. Game. Right, but they didn't have. No, I'm, they wouldn't have beat Clemson regardless. Mm-hmm. They were strength. fully healthy in the North Carolina game. Yeah, had that, Brian Edwards yep. in the Appalachian State game. Yep. Now that was the North Carolina game. There's zero excuse. Right, I'm exactly. just saying I'm not totally sure. And I include last year in that. I'm including the defense last year, right? Because they lost games because of the defense last year. Sure, yeah. They scored enough points to beat Florida, you know. Um, and the defense was complicit in the North Carolina game too, and they were also healthy. But yeah. you know, you look at. Would would they have another win or two this year if they had every single player healthy? Even you can include Jake Bentley there. You cannot look at this pass at this season how it unfolded and not think that Jake Bentley. Yes, he had a poor game against North Carolina as ever, as most players did. You can't think that he wouldn't have played a little bit better. But that's another discussion. One hundred percent healthy Jake Bentley would have been better than seventy five percent or fifty percent healthy Ryan Holinsky. Whatever. Yes. There's, you you will get no arguments from even me, the harshest Jake Bentley critic There's around. no doubt. So my point is it's a difficult situation right now with the offensive coordinator deal because South Carolina is not the most desirable spot for an offensive coordinator right now. And it's not just – a lot of fans are just saying, well, that's just because of working for Muschamp. Not, that's not even as big a factor in it. It's just that the personnel is not as good. Some of your targets, if you're hiring, here's sort of like a newsflash thing. If you're trying to hire a really good offensive coordinator, he's probably going to have other options. Mm-hmm. He's either already in a good situation or he's got other options to get in a good situation. Chad Morris, for example, he would he would probably be a good hire, but he's going to have other options. He's getting some head coaching looks at smaller schools, right? and he's getting some OC looks near Texas where he has roots and where all his family is right now. So, you know, you, he's been you, recruiting that part of the country at Arkansas. Like, yeah, he's in the neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, he he was at SMU. He went to Texas A and M. He was a high school coach in Texas for years. His family's still over there. His son was just a senior in high school there. So I mean, and his son is looking for a new home now because he was committed to Arkansas. So th- there's just all these different things. And Morris isn't the only one. There are other candidates that are on the board that either have or will have other options. And so they have to assess that and say, what's the personnel like? What's the stability like? So there's a lot of things to consider, and whatever guy gets hired is going to be walking into a situation where he's going to be expected to produce. And that's why I feel like those top veteran guys, Carolina, I mean, not that they shouldn't pursue them, because obviously if you can get somebody that's got a lot of pedigree that for whatever reason wants to come to South Carolina and believes in the talent and believes in Helensky, and if Marshawn Lloyd stays committed, you know, just wants to coach someone that's a five-star caliber running back. You know, there, there are all those things that are still on the table that could theoretically make this happen. So I don't want to say Carolina should jump ship, but – those bigger name established veterans are going to go elsewhere. You mentioned the Texas offensive coordinator job. There have been talks that, you know, maybe Graham Harrell could be a guy that they poach from Southern Cal to get that job. And then all of a sudden Southern Cal's got an offensive coordinator opening. So if, if Chad Morris doesn't get the job at Texas, maybe he'd rather go coach for Clay Helton for a Southern Cal team that was just eight and four that pretty much has their pick of the litter in the state of California and can dominate or at least have the possibility to dominate or at least be very competitive, more competitive in the Pac-12 than he would here at South Carolina, you know, in a, in a still a depleted East, but an East in which South Carolina lost to Tennessee and lost to Missouri. And, you know, it's, it's a long road to host. So there are a lot more desirable positions, which is why I feel like some of those other kind of mid-tier names are going to be a little more, more interesting. That being said, what are y'all hearing? Wes, who are you hearing is at the top of the list for South Carolina that you think is a realistic option? 
Yeah, you know, and the realistic option part is where you, I guess, sort of start to get into, uh, you know, some gray area. I, I think to sort of complete my thoughts on all that, I think there is value if you can go get a Chad Morris. Um, although it's even worth mentioning with a guy like that. When Chad Morris got to Clemson and fixed their offensive woes, he had Andre Ellington as a running back. Um, he had a solid quarterback already in Taj Boyd, was already there. I think DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins were all already there. You had some guys to work with. Now, he he did some things that the previous staff obviously could not do, and then he goes out and recruits a guy by the name of Deshaun Watson who um, – who's been throwing touchdowns on the screen in the NFL right in front of us while we've been recording this. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not saying by any means that that would be a bad hire. But any any of these hires would come with a level of risk. I do think there's value, if we're talking about our chicken or the egg scenario, there is value in hiring a known guy, if you can get him, that brings some excitement and that maybe brings a guy or two along with you. Mm-hmm. Maybe your personnel gets better if there's a guy out there who really liked Chad Morris in the recruiting process but, you know, basically knew that Arkansas' situation was bad and then Chad Morris gets fired. Maybe there's a guy with a prior relationship that comes with one of these guys and all of a sudden your personnel gets better and you say, all right, you know, young, developing offensive line. You had Marshawn Lloyd to, you know, the running back position. You take – Shy Smith, you develop Xavier Leggett, you bring in a stud, and all of a sudden you have a few pieces to work with. So to me, you have either have to bring in a guy that can maybe bring in some guys with him, or B, if you can't do that, I say go go all out, even if it is a gimmick, whatever, you know, bring in a guy that does something completely different mm-hmm. than everybody else. Um, so let me sidebar real quick because I want to I want to ask a question on the Morris thing before I forget because I know that other people have had this question, including my roommate who asked me, and I was like, I don't really know because you mentioned bringing someone with you. And, Chris, you just mentioned Chad Morris kid is a quarterback, just finished his senior year of high school. It seems like, you know, depending on where Morris lands, that could, that could also be a landing spot for his kid. Would that jeopardize Carolina's standing – with Luke Doty, would they be willing to bring that guy in? Would that complicate a potential hire for Chad Morris if the if it became a package deal with this kid? Yeah, I think it complicates things because um, Luke Luke Doty is South Carolina's guy. Um, you know, he's he is signing with South Carolina on December the nineteenth, eighteenth, eighteenth. You know, I checked in on that. Even with all the offensive, you know, changes, his quarterbacks coach is obviously you know, retiring, and you look, uh, you know, this is your guy, this is, you know, potentially the future of your offense. Uh, Will Muschamp reached out to to Doty on Sunday after all the news was coming out. He's reaffirmed he's going to South Carolina, and um, South Carolina has reaffirmed to him, hey, you know, you're our guy. Um, There have been some rumblings, you know, about does that play in, would, would, regardless of where it is, would Chad Morris want to bring – um, his kid with him. There's been rumblings about that. Because he was committed uh, to Arkansas. Uh, yes. Now, uh, a lot of people have him pointed towards Oklahoma, possibly, which mm. obviously would be a great situation for him. Um, there's been rumblings about, you know, Chandler Morris possibly, you know, like gray shirting at, at South Carolina, like delaying enrollment uh, because South Carolina obviously will sign some type of 2021 quarterback. They don't have anyone committed there yet. Uh, those are all, I would say, more in the. Uh, 
rumor category. Right now, I wouldn't put that as me saying that as a fact. But, um, yeah, I I think everything's on the table. You know, if, if you're Morris and you have – that, there's the, – the thing, and to sort of answer your initial question, Chad Morris is one of the names that Chris and I have both heard, you know, from independent people that, like, would know. Right. Um, Chad Morris is in the mix. Um, but but it wouldn't be a deal breaker for either Morris or South Carolina or Luke Doty if they try to go in that direction from what you're hearing. Well, I, I like it could be complicated, but maybe not a deal breaker. I mean, I, I can't really say if it would or wouldn't. Okay. You know, I, I think, I but think, at least not for Doty. He's committed either way, and Carolina's I, committed to him. Well, I, well, and I, I think I, I I don't see. We'll put it like this: I don't see any way South Carolina brings a quarterback in other than Luke Doty, like with the 2020 class. Like Luke Doty is their guy for 2020. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. Um, past that, you know, I, I think. There, for one, there's no re- Chad Morris has no reason to jump on the first offer he gets. He's getting paid regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets to figure out what the best fit is, and he gets to make the decision on his own timeline. South Carolina would like to have this thing done, you know, sooner rather than later. A guy like Chad Morris, it it may not be possible. Um, you know, there we were told from the very beginning there's mutual interest between South Carolina and Chad Morris. I think, you know, from everything we've gathered, there's mutual interest between Chad Morris and multiple other programs as well. Um, that is one of the names that's been out there. Mike Bobo, of course, is one of the names that's been out there. Um, uh, the guy from Indiana, you want to talk about him a little bit? Jalen DeBoer? Chris. Or Kalen yeah, and DeBoer. I had some more Chad Morris little notes I wanted to get out to, so someone remind me to actually say it. But, yeah. DeBoer. Well, go ahead. You want to go ahead and – Hit the more stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I, we I will forget. Just, I, <laughs> we will. I, you know, I'm and I'm not reporting this, but I've grown a little bit more skeptical that it will be Morris ultimately if he can get if he if he's if he wants another college opportunity and can get one more out west. Again, his family's still out there. He's got more roots there. He may think that there's some better situations out that way, or if he gets another head coaching opportunity and still wants to be a head coach. Um, all those things are on the table, so he does have options. He he is not – I don't think he's ruled out the South Carolina job, but when you look at it, all things considered, could South Carolina be maybe a little bit down the list? Yeah, and that makes total sense, you know, all things considered. But I, I had these notes that I haven't run yet on just what Morris did with the offense at Clemson. Now, look, part of that was recruiting. 2011, his first year there, DeAndre Hopkins was a sophomore and Sammy Watkins was a freshman. And, you know, they had a lot of they had a lot of good players there, Taj Boyd, et cetera. But let me give you a two year total um of what they did. Two thousand ten before Morris was there, they're fifty six percent completion, hundred and ninety seven yards a game, one point three touch passing touchdowns a game, seventeen touchdowns, fourteen picks. That's what their quarterbacks did in two thousand ten. They weren't very good. That was their six win year. In two years, they were a lot better in 2011, too, but in, in year two, under Morris, 67% completions, 322 yards per game, 3.1 touchdowns per game passing, 39 touchdowns and 14 picks. So they added 22 touchdowns overall, uh, 1.8 touchdowns on average passing, and 125 yards you know, to that total. So the talent definitely was beginning to rise at that point, but he did a really good job there. I'm not saying he would have a similar impact at South Carolina, but um, that obviously they got to fix the personnel. But, yeah, I've grown a little bit more skeptical that 
he'll be the guy. It's still possible, you know, but I just think, obviously, like we said earlier, anyone who's good and has done good things in the past, if available, is probably going to have some other options, and, and he fits in that category. So who would be – who do you think is – Hmm, I don't, I don't want to say the best hire because obviously then we're, we're going to say, hey, go get – you know, Josh McDaniels from the Patriots. But who is the <laughs> right? Who is the best realistic hire? What What do you think is the realistic best case scenario? Do we know? Who, right we now? don't even know exactly. Hey, I don't know well, everybody on the list. No, I mean, I got I got some names. I'll just throw out some names. Let's do it like this because these are the names that I've heard. Some of these are from reading y'all's excellent reports on Gamecock Central, the insider reports. Which, by the way, if y'all don't get those, this is the best time to be subscribed to Gamecock Central with early signing period right around the corner with all the coaching search going on and Wes and Chris providing daily updates on that and if you're not a subscriber to gamecock central and you want to get access to all this good intel gc pod is the exclusive podcast code to get a month for free that'll yeah. get you into the new year yeah or you can do uh just type in gamecocks and you can get if you're ready to sign up you say hey i don't need a free trial um but i don't want to pay full price uh just type in gamecocks and uh in the little code and you'll actually get 50 percent off of an annual subscription so two options yeah so a lot of good information. I'm just going to run through some of these names again. Some of them I've read in y'all's insider reports. Some of them are just people being like, ooh, what if it were this person? We talked about Chad Morris. Matt Canada, who's not in football right now. No. Which is kind of weird. He had, obviously, that stint at Maryland mm-hmm. after an unceremonious ending to his career in LSU that I think had more to do with just kind of like personal differences between him and Ed Orgeron than necessarily anything related to football. Um, and he was someone that obviously going into that LSU job, people were very excited about, and mm-hmm. then it's just kind of like faded into oblivion. Yeah. I I think doesn't sound like he's going to – I know that was a, a name that maybe had some early attention among the fan base, but um, don't really get the impression that he is a candidate. Joe Brady is a name that people are really excited about. I, I love that people are so excited about Joe Brady, who's literally never called a play in his entire life. Just the the passing game coordinator and we call quarterbacks coach for LSU. Throws, plays. He calls pass But he's not plays. the offensive coordinator. I mean, Steve Ensminger is the, the offensive coordinator down there. He's the one. I mean, obviously, Joe Brady deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to do with, with as Chris calls him, Joseph Burrow. Um, which, by the way, did y'all see his jersey this past weekend? Yep. Yeah. Amazing. That's why I love LSU. Um, and he's, he's also someone that I would put sort of into the Chad Morris category where someone's going to throw a lot of money at him and it's going to well, be up to LSU. To it's going to be LSU. Kind of yeah, LSU. Well, yeah. No, but I mean, I could see, you know, like Texas or someone being like, hey, you know, here's 1.2 and then LSU being I like, think they're already working on. They've been working on that. Like yeah. a 1.5. I'm sure. He'll get a lot deal. of money. He's, yeah. he's come up as a possibility, like a target for Texas. Uh, number one, I don't really know that he goes anywhere. Uh, yeah. uh, and number two, I, I don't even need to ask any sources about it the chances of him yeah moving no. from there to south carolina are, are, are not great um i yeah. got really excited by all the people mentioning steve adazio oh no <laughs> I, I i don't know that I, I i haven't heard i haven't heard him come up i no. can't imagine is there I, a little wah, wah, wah button? yeah Do yeah I'll have, to, I'll have to put that in there yeah. um i just thought that was funny uh, i saved my favorite two f- for the last two though okay someone that wes already started to ask you about kaylin DeBoer. Really interesting guy. Um, he's been he's been a head coach. He was a head coach at his uh, alma mater, which is Sioux Falls. And uh, when he was a head coach there, he went sixty seven and three, which is pretty good, no matter where you're at. I think uh, yeah. he I think he won three national. Wow, he titles. lost three games. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I think I think two like two of the three games were to the whoever won the national title, like John Carroll or something. Um, is that a guy? That's a school. Oh, Carroll. 
but no, he's been um so he's he's really risen lately. I mean, he uh the programs that he has coached at, he's made a big impact. So he hasn't been at gigantic schools. You know, he's been at Sioux Falls. Um, he was at Fresno State under Jeff Tedford for two years, and then he was at Eastern Michigan for three seasons. But he's play called for 19 years. So if you look at, okay, does he have experience? Yes, he does. He's got a lot of experience. Um, Fresno State was not very good this year, um, The but – under Jeff Tedford and, and when DeBoer was offensive coordinator two years before that, I mean, they were 120th in offense before he got there, and they jumped up to 47th. Eastern Michigan moved from 111th to 35th. Um, and then, you know, he's done obviously a really good job in Indiana. You look at what they've done this year. I think there were only a couple games. I, I posted a note on the Insiders Forum somewhere, and I'll have to go back and double-check it. But I believe they – they only scored less than 27, so it wasn't your favored 30-point mark. But they only scored less than, like, 27 twice to Penn State and Michigan. Hmm. Other than that, they were scoring Unlike points. Carolina, who did it 12 times this year. Right. So you, you, so, if you do less than or equal to. So, you know, if you're thinking about <clears throat> a guy who's got some creativity times. and a good scheme and, some, and a guy who's maximized, you know, that's a guy that fits. And so from what we've heard, there's some potential that there may be some talks there. Will it advance? How much? I have no idea. You know, he makes pretty good money out there. You know, I I would say of the names that we've heard and the names that we've talked about, he's probably my favorite of the bunch. And that's without me. Like, uh, there's probably. I mean, I to me, I I want him to go hire. You know, no offense to anyone, I want him to go hire some nerd that has like developed the most efficient offensive plan with some computer yeah from like d3 um, or something yeah like yeah. i want him to go hire some dude that's just like i think so too i think that'd be fun that like never played football and just was like i have developed the most efficient way to <laughs> deliver the football into the end zone as possible <laughs> and uh you know like that that's who i want him to hire but so, someone that's like like as a head coach you know is is the always onside kick guy always go for yes. two always go for it on fourth yeah yes. i mean just play just play money ball yes. but in college football um, I, I would be all about that but that's that's not gonna happen um so with all that said, the guy that like I think fits all the things you're looking for and maximizing doing more with less, um, Kalen DeBoer to me is the guy that sort of fits all that. All right. Well, I haven't heard a lot about this since like the initial outcry when Brian McClendon was demoted. So I don't know if this one's realistic, but I saved my favorite, my personal best for last. What about Rhett Lashley? Oh, that, that's one that's come up. He's come up. He's on the list. Um, you know, he, again, like we said earlier, there's a combination of guys that really don't have any ties and some guys that do. So Lashley does have yeah, some ties. Yeah, the year uh, when Mike right, Shep was year. Yeah, yeah um, Lashley was there on staff. So he's not as experienced as some other guys. Um, he has been on staff where he has not called plays. For example, there was one year at Auburn where he called some plays and then Malzahn took it over again. Um, I think that was like 16 or 17, which is yeah. – I think that was kind of why he left is because Malzahn started to take some of those exactly. play-calling responsibilities from him. You're dead on with that, I think. And, uh, you know, so it, it's interesting because, you know, Lashley played for Malzahn in high school. So he's come up under his system, but he also went to SMU and has been calling Sonny Dyke's system mm -hmm. over there. So he's got sort of an interesting background with some different systems and um, – has done a good job at SMU, and, I mean, one of his years was at UConn. They're awful. 
And Unless they, they're playing Carolina in the PapaJohns.com Bowl. Right. They were a little bit better back then. <laughs> but they've been largely awful for yeah. a f- several years. Um, he still made an impact on their offense in terms of making them serviceable at times, which is, you know, probably, heck, that's probably a notch on your belt to do that. So, yeah, he is an interesting name. And he's one that I think will have at least some level of involvement. In, he in was this. a Bros finalist in 2013. He was on the semifinalist list, that like last group of 15. He didn't make the finalists. Those were just announced yesterday or Tuesday, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this afternoon. He was not a finalist. But having been named to that list a couple times, I think speaks to his quality and, you know, the recognition of that. And, you know, the coaching tree hires are just – I feel like that's really a crapshoot. It's 50-50. I think people put a little bit too much stock in that. But if you're someone that wants to be optimistic about that, coaching under Sonny Dykes, coaching under Gus Malzahn, you know, a couple of good people to, to get experience. And I think that's the one that, that seems like the right mix of it's not unattainable because he's at SMU and, you know, that's not going to be Texas or Southern Cal or whoever else has an offensive, you know, whenever uh, whenever some pro team poaches Steve Sarkeesian away from Alabama and they need another offensive coordinator because that's just kind of like an annual tradition now. Um, you know, I don't think that's the first thing that's going to come up for that job. So something that's, I guess, realistic and would also, I think, be a, a reasonably good hire for Carolina. But if we have learned anything through the years about how this stuff goes, it's going to be none of these guys, and it's going to be someone random. So who is this, like, random person that we're not even thinking of that it's going to be? Like, I'm ho- I'm hoping it's some dude we've never heard of that yep. is putting up, like, 80 points at a Division three school. Yeah, just go, just go look at the stats and then see who their offensive coordinator is. Who actually – there was someone from, like, Arkansas State or someone I know who's been – they score, like, a million points a game or something. But oh, that's an impressive figure. I know it's it's um it's it's kind of like unprecedented. Un, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> but I, I like where Wes is going with this, and I'll I'll add sort of another another element to it. I, I'm imagining this guy got his first job coaching for like being an offensive coordinator for like a D three school because he was playing competitive NCAA and like gamer tournaments and mm-hmm. was like winning so convincingly and was so creative with his offensive play design that some D three school was just like whatever, let's give this guy a chance. And then all of a sudden he's like god level offensive coordinator. So that's sort of what I'm hoping for. Um, we've already gone long on this, but there's a lot to talk about. We'll certainly keep out posted. Of course, you know, we'll be back next week. Um, but in the meantime, be sure to subscribe to Gamecock Central so you can read all these insider reports. As the latest intel hits, Wes and Chris are going to have it. This is a big hire for South Carolina. I mean, for Will Muschamp, <laughs> I think people said this right before we hired Brian McClendon. was like, well, this is his last chance. Better get this one right. Didn't exactly get that one right, but this one, you know, I guess every chance is the last chance for last chance for Will Muschamp, but this is a significant hire either way. So, like I said, we'll keep you all posted. Gamecock Central will keep you posted. Thank you all so much for listening. I want to remind you again to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We're going to keep doing this again. Recruiting season is in full swing now, so no reason for us to, you know, have this die down. Even though football season is over, and in some ways it's kind of a relief. I get to catch up on movies and TV shows. I haven't started the new season of The Crown. Um, and we can just focus a little more solely on recruiting. So we're going to be back. We're going to keep our regular schedule. And uh, stay tuned to other things that are going to be going on on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network in the coming weeks because we're going to get some basketball stuff off the ground here sooner rather than later. And so be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast so you get all those updates, all the great other podcasts that we're going to be doing throughout basketball season and baseball season. Thank you all again so much for listening. Y'all have a great week.